This past Saturday, Joe Biden received communion sacrilegiously. We have a photo of Joe Biden receiving communion this past Saturday, July 24th at the 4 p.m. mass at the St. Joseph's on the Brandywine in Wilmington, Delaware. Check it out. The big debate among the U.S. bishops they just had over communion for pro-abortion politicians like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi is not actually new. It's not even a debate. It's been settled for a long time. We know the truth. We have the goods. And I'm going to show you the proof. So many of those bishops who just stood up to argue that Biden should be given Holy Communion, which obviously he is being, are the same ones pushing the LGBT agenda in the church. I'm going to show you who the key players are on both sides and also give you some of the teaching tools you need to learn the truth of our faith on this, to defend it, and to teach it to others. One of the big need-to-know items here is that Pope Benedict XVI himself insisted that pro-abortion politicians be denied Holy Communion. Stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, to start, let's get the basics covered first. Holy Communion, or the Holy Eucharist, is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, God. Jesus promised to be with us until the end of time. He promised he would give us his flesh to eat, and he did that. First of all, at the Last Supper, asking his apostles to carry on the sacrifice of the, Holy, of the Holy Mass. And that's why, right from the very beginning of the church, Holy Communion was taken so seriously by the apostles and the early Christians. St. Paul, writing in Corinthians, in fact, he already answered our question over 2,000 years ago. And sadly, some feel it still has to be debated today. From the earliest days of the church, receiving Holy Communion unworthily has been forbidden. But get this, it is forbidden out of concern for those who would make such unworthy communions. St. Paul, in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, wrote this, and I quote, Therefore, Whosoever shall eat this bread or drink the chalice of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. He continued, this is St. Paul, but let a man prove himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of the chalice. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks condemnation to himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 29. So that should have been it, the end of the so-called debate. The problem is, what is supposed to be done is hard. It's, it's not politically correct. It, it makes you unpopular. It doesn't get you invited to hobnob with the rich and famous. It gets you cast out of popular culture, to be seen as backward or a simpleton. But it's the only way to truly follow Christ in his church. It is, as always, the way of the cross. 
This spiritual perspective, the love of souls, which seeks to save the wayward Catholic despite the political incorrectness, the loss of human respect, perhaps, and societal awkwardness, is the answer to some of the most divisive debates in the hierarchy today. The recognition of the eternal consequences of actions would actually definitively end the vast disagreement among bishops over the reception of Holy Communion for pro-abortion politicians. Oh, but that would mean, you know, believing that Jesus was serious in warning about hell over and over again, as he did in the recorded scriptures. He's the one who said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many there are that go therein. But you know, that's another story for another time. Throughout most of North America and Europe, it's actually only a small minority of bishops who have ever agreed to follow this teaching of the church, despite the fact that it has been obvious from the beginning and continually reinforced in church teaching until Pope Francis. Let me give you the smoking gun first. Pope Benedict XVI, a most gentle and lenient pope, some would say overly lenient, insisted that pro-abortion politicians be denied Holy Communion. We'll get to that in a moment. But even more consequential, Pope Benedict actually backed the excommunication of pro-abortion politicians as well. For those of you who don't know, excommunication is a penalty beyond denial of Holy Communion, where the excommunicated party can't even go back to communion with a simple confession to a priest, but he must apply to the bishop, or in some cases even the Vatican, for the excommunication to be lifted before he's admitted back to Holy Communion. So, the issue came up with Pope Benedict on May 9th, 2007, when on a papal flight to Brazil, he was asked by a reporter, and I quote, do you agree with the excommunication of the deputies, that's of the local politicians, of Mexico City on the use of abortion? And the Pope replied, and I quote, yes, this excommunication is not something arbitrary, but it's part of the code, and speaking of the code of canon law, it's based Continued the Pope, by the way, this is the Pope's quote. It's based simply on the principle that the killing of an innocent human child is incompatible with the going uh, with going in communion with the body of Christ. Thus, and he was speaking of the bishops, thus they didn't do anything new, anything surprising or arbitrary in that they simply announced publicly what is contained in the law of the church, and the law of the church is based on the doctrine and the faith of the church, which expresses our appreciation for life, that human individuality, human personality, is present from the first moment of life. Those were the words of Pope Benedict agreeing with the bishops uh, in Mexico about the excommunication of pro-abortion politicians in Mexico when asked in 2007. So, Pope Benedict referenced canon law, canon 915 of the Church's Code of Canon Law, that states that those who are, and I quote, obstinately preserving in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion, end quote. And guess who was the Church's top canonist at the time? Guess who sat at the head of the Church's highest court called the Apostolic Signatura, appointed there by Pope Benedict himself? None other than Cardinal Raymond Burke who said he would refuse to allow then-Vice President John Kerry to receive Holy Communion. Shortly after his appointment to that highest court in the church, LifeSite spoke with Cardinal Burke about the matter, and he told LifeSite at the time, 
and I quote, I don't understand the continual debate that goes on about it. There's not a question that a Catholic who publicly and after admonition supports pro-abortion legislation is not to receive Holy Communion and is not to be given Holy Communion. The Church's law is very clear, end quote. He explained to us at the time, the Holy Eucharist, the most sacred reality of our life in the Church, has to be protected against sacrilege. At the same time, he said, individuals who have, have to be protected for the, their own sake for the sake of their own salvation, from committing one of the gravest sins, namely to receive Holy Communion unworthily, end quote. But you know the pressure to deny this clear teaching of the church by other powerful bishops was so extreme that even Cardinal Burke thought about the idea of giving up the fight. Have a look from John Kerry to Nancy Pelosi to Rudy Giuliani. These are public figures who are, by and large, pro-choice yes. in their public pronouncements, and manifestly yes. so. You said they shouldn't receive the sacrament. Now, over the years, you have received such scorn for that clear teaching. Do you ever stop and say, maybe I should back off a little bit? Well, I've thought about it because I've received very severe criticism, both at the time that mm -hmm. I was insisting on applying the discipline mm -hmm. and also in my writing and in other situations. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that uh, I, 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 I think about, again, the, the discipline itself, and it's a consistent discipline from the time of St. Paul, from the time very first years of the Church, and it, it makes perfect sense. In fact, it makes mm -hmm. such fundamental sense that I, I can't feel badly about it or, mm -hmm. or question. The question in my mind is, why don't more people understand this? And, yeah. and I, because I, I don't consider it to be rocket science or some kind of very mm -hmm. unusual insight. It's something that's it's just natural to our faith, that the, the Holy Eucharist is the most sacred reality. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I simply wouldn't approach to receive Holy Communion if I was in the state of sin, and neither would I give Holy Communion to someone who I knew was in the state of sin. This debate in the USA has been going on in earnest since 2004. And you know the poster child for the side of allowing pro-abortion politicians to receive Holy Communion? Is none other than pedophile ex-Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. During the 2004 deliberation among U.S. bishops, then-Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who is the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, of course, who later became Pope Benedict, sent a letter to the U.S. bishops to use as a guide. The letter pointed out that obstinately pro-abortion Catholic politicians, after being duly instructed and warned, must be denied Holy Communion. In his 12-page address, however, on the topic in 2004, McCarrick didn't even provide the gist of Cardinal Ratzinger's letter, which outlined in six successive points why Communion must be denied in specified cases. It's unbelievable. McCarrick, though, he did speak about a bracketed afterthought 
at the bottom of Cardinal Ratzinger's letter, which spoke of uh, the reception of communion for Catholics who vote for pro-abortion politicians. So the failure to mention the central contents of that Ratzinger letter, which was called, by the way, Worthiness to Receive Holy Communion, General Principles, is seemingly habitual for Cardinal McCarrick. Although it was sent to the U.S. bishops via Cardinal McCarrick by Cardinal Ratzinger, the document was not even revealed to the U.S. bishops, even those who sat on the committee with him to decide about this issue in 2004. Rather, McCarrick gave the impression that Cardinal Ratzinger's letter indicated Rome was ambiguous about the matter. And speaking of Cardinal Ratzinger's letter in a June 15, 2004 statement to the U.S. bishops, McCarrick actually said, and I quote, the Cardinal recognizes, and he was speaking Cardinal Ratzinger, the Cardinal recognizes that there are circumstances in which Holy Communion may be denied, end quote. So a couple of weeks after Cardinal McCarrick's speech, the letter from Cardinal Ratzinger was leaked to well-known Vatican reporter Sandra Magister. We published it at LifeSite as well. He published the document in full. And then, you know, people were starting to say, oh, that's a fake letter and whatnot. Well, in a surprising move, Cardinal Ratzinger's office confirmed that the leaked document was indeed authentic. So rather than a permissibility to deny communion, Ratzinger's letter spoke of cases where, and I quote, the minister of Holy Communion may find himself in the situation where he must refuse to distribute Holy Communion to someone. It went on to explain that an obstinately pro-abortion Catholic politician who has been warned and instructed if, quote, the person in question with obstinate persistence still presents himself to receive the Holy Eucharist, the minister of Holy Communion must refuse to distribute it, end quote. So then our Archbishop at the time of St. Louis, who was Cardinal, later Cardinal Raymond Burke, he was on that committee of bishops in 2004. And he told Catholic reporter Barbara Krellis at the time that he was disappointed in not receiving the letter from McCarrick. Uh, Krellis asked him, and I quote, were the contents of the memo made known to you and the other bishops at the Denver meeting? End quote. Bishop, then Archbishop Burke replied, and I quote, it certainly was not made known to me, and I do not believe that it was given to the other bishops. Cardinal McCarrick referred to the memorandum. We were told that according to Cardinal Ratzinger, the application of Canon 915 was up to the prudent judgment of each bishop. The text of the memorandum would have been very helpful at the meeting in Denver. Knowing now about the memo, I am disappointed it was not given to us at the meeting of the bishops' conference." End quote. Well, now that you know the roots of this deceptive and counter-church scandal being in the scandalous Cardinal McCarrick, let's see which U.S. bishops continue to defy this constant teaching of the church and who among them is standing up for the truth of Christ. So, as I've said previously, one of the best things about Pope Francis's reign is that the wolves among the bishops are outing themselves. We saw that with a list of U.S. bishops who publicly signed on to a document encouraging LGBT identity for youth. But with this communion issue, 68 U.S. bishops signed a letter, which was leaked to the press, asking the U.S. bishops not to even discuss the matter at the U.S. bishops' conference meeting. And that's the most recent one now. For the full list, 
please go to lifesitenews.com. And uh, on my blog there on this matter, you'll find that link to that full story with the full list of names. And while there may be some on that list who objected for reasons of collegiality or not wanting to rock the boat politically or perhaps other reasons, there are some who are known opponents of the church's constant teaching to deny communion to obstinate public sinners. So leading the pack are several cardinals. Shouldn't be a surprise, but I'll name them. Chicago's Blaise Supich, Washington, D.C.'s Wilton Gregory, Newark's Joseph Tobin. Now, most of you are familiar with those names and know those men to be unfaithful to church teaching on a whole host of issues. Well, in addition, there's Boston Cardinal Sean O'Malley on that list. There was New York's Cardinal Timothy Dolan. And beyond those cardinals, these five archbishops were signatories to the letter. Archbishop Andrew Belisario, he's of Anchorage, Juno. Archbishop Paul Etienne of Seattle. Archbishop Gustavo Garcia Siller from San Antonio. And Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky of St. Louis. There's also Archbishop Dennis Schnurr of Cincinnati. As to the bishops on that list of 68, fighting the church's constant teaching were Bishop Joseph Tyson of Yakima, Washington. He was the first bishop to object even to having the document about the matter discussed at the USCCB meeting in June. And he was joined in his dissent by Bishop William Medley of Owensboro, Kentucky. You know, there's too many bishops uh, on the list to mention here, but I wanted to draw your attention to a number of them who also publicly outed themselves as pro-LGBT. Interestingly, almost all of the prelates who signed on to that pro-LGBT letter that I mentioned earlier also signed this letter to scuttle even debating the denial of communion to pro-abortion politicians. And again, it's important to remember these names. Cardinal Joseph Tobin, Archbishop of Newark. Archbishop John Wester, Archbishop of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, Bishop Stephen Beegler, Bishop of Cheyenne, Wyoming. Bishop Robert McElroy, Bishop of San Diego. Uh, Bishop John P. Dolan, Auxiliary Bishop of San Diego. Bishop Joseph R. Kopaz, Bishop of Jackson, Mississippi. Bishop John Stowe, Bishop of Lexington, Kentucky. Bishop Anthony B. Taylor, Bishop of Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, in the end, the USCCB meeting voted in favor of drafting a document on the issue with a vote of 168 in favor, 55 opposed, with six abstentions. Now, those leading the bishops to stick with the church's teaching on the need to deny communion to pro-abortion politicians included Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. That comes as no surprise. But there was also Archbishop Joseph Nauman, the chair of the USCCB's pro-life committee, and Archbishop Salvatore Corleone. Um, also, there was Archbishop Joseph Kurtz of Louisville, Bishop uh, Paul, uh, Archbishop Paul Coakley of Oklahoma City, and Bishops Conley of Lincoln, uh, and Donald DeGrood of Sioux Falls. But, you know, the takeaway we all need to remember here is that the denial of Holy Communion to pro-abortion politicians is Catholic teaching from the beginning. It's not rocket science. You don't need a degree, a degree in theology. You know, this is best explained by Cardinal Francis Arinze. 
Under Pope John Paul II, he was in charge of the Vatican Department dealing with the sacraments, the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, it was called. Watch him explain it. Take a look. So the matter is very clear. Once people ask me, if a person votes for abortion, can the person receive Holy Communion? My reply was, do you really need a cardinal from the Vatican to answer that? Get the children for First Communion and say to them, somebody votes for the killing of unborn babies and says, I voted for that, I will vote for that every time. And these babies are killed, not one or two, but in millions. And that person says, I'm a practicing Catholic. Should that person receive communion next Sunday? The children for First Communion will answer you that at the drop of a hat. <laughs> you don't need a cardinal to answer that. And finally, those who refuse to discipline their wayward spiritual children by denying them communion are actually lacking in love. They're lacking in pastoral care. And you know, we've known this since the beginning of the church. St. Ambrose was the Bishop of Milan. He lived in the 300s. He actually refused communion. He even excommunicated Emperor Theodosius at the time. He could have been killed for his act, of course. But it was because the emperor had actually killed 7,000 civilians. So the emperor, after being excommunicated, he actually repented of his sin. And he turned around, he came back to the church because of the courage of St. Ambrose to excommunicate him. And according to St. Augustine, the emperor responded to this chastisement with humility and did penance for his sins. St. Ambrose himself spoke movingly at the emperor's funeral, this is according to St. Augustine, of the emperor's contrition for his sin and fortitude um, in offering public penance. He did public penance for this. And this is, of course, you know, the purpose or the essential purpose of ecclesiastical censures or punishments, if you will, to prevent the sinner from uh, inducing others to sin and also to encourage him to repent. St. Ambrose told the emperor that he did this punishment out of love and care for the soul of the emperor himself to call him back to the faith. And this is a quote. He said, This I do chiefly from love and regard to you and from a wish to preserve your well-being. End quote. That is what this issue is all about. There is no debate. It's about loving wayward Catholics enough to do the hard and socially awkward thing of denying them Holy Communion so that they wake up enough to straighten out their lives. And if they don't do that, at least you stop the rest of Catholics from thinking that being pro-abortion is no big deal for the faith. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston. And may God bless you. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. 
They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.